sometimes in order to ask a question. There is a big process, and that's what we're going to talk about today. This is Radio Plasma, a space dedicated to the exchange of ideas, conversations, stories, music, performances, and randomness. Listen at radioplasma.com. Also, you can find us on Spotify, Apple Podcast, Google Play, TuneIn, and Stitcher. Welcome to Radio Plasma. I'm Johan Vega, and we are at the boardroom in the Holy Public Library. And we're going to talk about the question, one question that took a lot of work to be able to ask. And this is a question that is going to be part of the ballot in our local election in November. So let's take a step back so we can talk about more in detail what about this question and how this question came to be. I want to welcome Laura Clampett and Ken Lefebvre, who are here as, in a way, the authors of this initiative for the question to be presented and brought to consideration. And, of course, we're going to talk about the story that is behind the question. So, thank you for being here and welcome. Thank you for having us, Johan. Thank you. So, um, let's start with that. What is that question? All right, so the question is, should the Holyoke Gas and Electric Company conduct a feasibility study on a gradual rollout of fiber optic internet for residents of the city to purchase and present the findings to the public at a city council meeting by April 2022 or sooner? That's a yes or no question. So it's all about access to an option, an additional option for people living in Holyoke to get a different way of access to internet. That's right. This um, option to purchase fiber has been available for commercial customers for a while, probably over 10 years, I'd say. Um, so we just want an opportunity for residents to have their voice heard about you know, their interest in this option. And again, it would be for purchase, hopefully, by, from the Holyoke Gas and Electric Company, so a municipal local option. We really like that idea of being able to purchase from our local entity. Particularly with the problems of net neutrality, as well as certain issues related to data throttling and perhaps misleading practices by certain internet service providers in the past, and sort of this notion that the internet is somewhat of a utility because the fact of the matter is today, if you have a business, if you're an employee, if you function in any sort of capacity in society, you use the internet. And it's certainly not as essential to life as water or electricity, but it's something that I think that has become uh, valued in everyday life to the point that we really shouldn't just be accessing it, going through the profits of private investors, but also through the public as well. Basically this question you know, it was coming to Holyoke and hearing that we've had this resource since, I believe, 1997 was when they started installing the lines. It was frustrating to see that it was something that there was very little information about. It was rather difficult to get a straight answer about whether or not residents had access to it. About three years ago, I had contacted the Gas and Electric and had asked, you know, is there a way I can purchase this? And I got a response to the effect of, if you have the thousands of dollars necessary to construct the line down your street, we'll do it. But that was about it. And then 
two years later, after moving away to Holyoke and moving back, I asked the same question and didn't actually get that response even. Instead, I got sort of this generic response that, you know, we are consistently looking forward to this, we're looking into it, um, if it becomes feasible at a future date. And one thing that surprised me was after a back and forth with the G&E and the state and getting public records requests, we already have a network that's built out to a substantial part of the city, as in almost the entirety of the downtown grid and a number of neighborhoods have fiber lines which connect maybe not houses, but certainly a number of buildings in different corners of the city. And so even though there is certainly a cost of hooking up additional connections to homes, I I was surprised that we actually have um, more than $10 million worth of infrastructure already in the city, which uh, ratepayers generally have no access to unless they have a a brick-and-mortar business. We see this as beneficial for um, home-based businesses as well um, as residents. Um, So currently, if you don't have a commercial business, it's brick and mortar in the downtown area, you're not able to connect to the network. Um, So we heard from um, at least one person when we were canvassing that this was of interest to them and their business. Uh, Definitely. And, you know, it's it's funny. It was created to benefit the citizens back in 1997 as a way to revitalize Holyoke to sort of attract small business owners and folks who could use this. And this wouldn't be the first time that Holyoke has actually done something like this. Um, I was talking to a friend of mine who made parallels with uh, back in the 19th century, Holyoke had actually been an investor in something called the Holyoke and Westfield Railroad. And the reason this was constructed was simply to offset the costs of some very expensive shipping fees north to south on the one line of rail going through the city. And by the time they had actually established this, it ultimately brought down the rates for its competitors by having this alternative. And so I don't know if the people who originally um, sort of brought this system of fiber optic forward had this analogy, but it wouldn't be the first time that Holyoke has tried to create a service uh, for its citizens directly. And thinking about that connection, the railroad between Westfield and Holyoke is an actual railroad that is still active today. That's and we, we get to see, at least as a way of celebrate some, some events yearly, that train coming to all the way from Westfield here to Heritage Park. This is an active way of communication and to do business. What about something that we are not physically able to see, but many people know that it exists. It's been there for quite a while. And this conversation about making it available for the public, it's been around for, to my knowledge, I've been hearing about it for about three to four years. I I would say the same. When I first moved here, I was surprised to learn that there was already a network in place. And... This conversation has gone from Holyoke sort of being a leader in this with its commercial service to if we don't start acting in the next couple of years, we may actually fall behind because as we have been exploring this question, our neighbors of Westfield, East Hampton, even to some degree Northampton is now exploring this. All three of those are either in the stages of setting this up for residents or in the case of Westfield, this is already a service they provide to residents of the city. Uh, even Chicopee, and I believe South Hadley. South Hadley is starting to roll this out now. So it, it was one of those things where we haven't heard a lot about it. We have neighbors that are exploring it actively, and some of which have 
obviously different demographics, but not so significantly that I don't think the citizens of Holyoke uh, couldn't benefit from this. This is something that could benefit all residents, whether they have a home business or they simply are trying to, you know, stream things online or to be, you know, doing something not unlike Radioplasma. If you ever wanted to do a streaming service, you know, it's, it's something that has utility. And I think the idea that this is something, it, it's certainly something that takes a certain amount of risk in the initial investment, but it's, it's to benefit the, the rate payers rather than shareholders. And I think there's something to be said about that. And in, addition, in addition, we've also heard a lot of arguments talking about how you know, 5G is something that's going to be coming in the near future, and that is basically the next generation of cellular service, which is supposed to be substantially faster. One detail that a lot of proponents of this um, leave out is this service doesn't just magically come from nowhere. All of those towers that they have to set up for 5G all make use of fiber optics. So it's a matter of does the city feel like having its own network or will we be sold on the idea that a private network will be somehow to our benefit when we've already experienced sort of some of the troubles of working with private providers already, um, I would say. Particularly when talking about options becomes a really uncomfortable situation where you will like to have that opportunity of choosing between the current provider of service that it's offering a lot of possibilities on that, but to a cost. A cost that sometimes is really questionable in terms of what are you getting from it. I mean, I'm, I'm pretty sure there, there will be many people, as me, that will consider why should I be paying this much a month when I know in other, in other places people can have more options that can adapt to what their needs really are and not a bundle that it was pre-sorted in a way that they want to convince you this is the best in, and the only way for you to get access to one service. But then, yeah, you have three or four more that you don't really need, but we feel you have to get them anyway. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I encountered this myself. Um, I don't have a television, and so when I you know, tried to purchase uh, internet service, the only way to get um, kind of a reasonable speed of internet seem to be to purchase it with the television service as well and that includes paying for like broadcast fees I think there's maybe like a sports broadcast fee something like that as well so a couple different fees and paying for a cable box which I wasn't going to use anyway so I definitely you know if I had the option to purchase just internet would much prefer to do that and also when you know people were trying to entice people to move to Holyoke you know we often point to HG&E and their low rates for um, electric and gas and so I think this would be a similar uh, carrot to encourage people to uh, move to Holyoke um, and you know so it's um incentive. Uh, would you prefer to live in a community where you have options or would you prefer to live in a community where you're kind of relegated to just the uh, commercial uh, providers that exist, um, which are very few in this area? And thinking also about the meaning when, when it's so much talk about supporting local and supporting our own resources. Again, I feel there will be many people as me that I will prefer to support Holocaust and Electric as my provider of service. Absolutely. And you think about the cost of these other services, too. Uh, that money 
sort of leaves the community every month when people are paying their bills. And that's not to say that, you know, private providers can't sponsor things, and they certainly provide maintenance to their networks, but there is a margin of profit that also goes with that, which is a substantial amount of money that you see just leaving the community. And if if there could be a lower cost for better service that actually contributes back to the infrastructure that every ratepayer in the city is in some capacity, you know, the equivalent of a shareholder of, I would say that's to the benefit of a greater community. Um, and what's more, when we were going through the process of trying to get this, uh, this question on the ballot, you know, there are certainly vested interests that are working against this. I mean, the municipality's utility, I can't blame them for not necessarily moving forward on this because HG&E is risk-averse. At the end of the day, their obligation is to the ratepayers to provide the best service at the lowest rate. Um, however, when I, when I had gone into the clerk's office to submit this um, this petition, within the same day, I, I've been on LinkedIn for I don't know how many years now. I, I've never had a political staffer from Comcast look at my profile until the day that we had submitted the petition. So that's you know that's not to say that there's anything nefarious in that regard, but it, they're keeping their eyes on these things because it's it's something that. People do not necessarily want to relinquish sort of the hold that they have over a market like this, and you know that's there's certainly some certainly some private uh, market forces that would like to not see this move forward. Uh, in fact, I think we were approached by one gentleman who suggested the basic the selling of the internet service rights to a private holder, if I'm yeah. not mistaken. Sure. So my understanding of the way that um, this approach to fiber works is that. HG&E would make the initial investment and lay the infrastructure down and then sell the broadband, I guess, the right to use the um, technology to various different companies. And they would lease, or not sell it, they would lease, the companies would lease the infrastructure from HG&E. And then when you would go to um, sign in, I guess, to the internet, you would choose your service provider and it would be a bunch of commercial entities. So to me, that, that probably, that's not the way I see this benefiting Holyoke. I think HG&E um, has been very successful with their commercial um, fiber optic internet offerings um, and they actually return profits that uh, benefit the gas and electric rate payers from my understanding uh, from HG&E. I think that Eventually, this could fiber, the residential fiber could also be beneficial to the uh, ratepayers overall. So, I think another incentive for me is being able to support a local municipal uh, utility company. So, I would prefer to purchase my internet service directly from HGE. I don't want to purchase from Comcast or from Verizon through HGE. So, Which effective, effectively, you know, there wouldn't be any difference to perhaps the current service, except maybe speed, but then all of that money that had gone into building up this infrastructure, I'm sure there's some share that would be seen by the city, but it would go at least in part towards the same, you know, the same companies that are sort of providing service already. And, uh, you know, it's just one of those things that um, gives me pause to think that, you know, we're not a very big city, but that's not to say that we're not, we're big enough to keep the attention of some of these um, providers. Uh, even to the point where, you know, when we were having this question passed, uh, it w- initially it had gotten tabled based on the language of basically making it into a question. Mm-hmm. And uh, we were able to work uh, successfully with the law department to do that. 
Um, one difference, however, between the first meeting and the second meeting was that one of our counselors, uh, Counselor Leahy, actually had to recuse himself because uh, he, he and his wife have connections to Comcast. Uh, his wife, Eileen uh, Leahy, is actually the senior manager of governmental and regulatory affairs for Comcast. And so we were grateful to see him recuse himself the second time, but it's always a bit of concern when these private interests have, you know, such a close connection to something that is for the public's benefit. And of course, were this to go another way, to their benefit to not even have this conversation, because regardless of whether or not the question passes, we're having this conversation. And at the end of the day, that was pretty much, you know, the bare minimum goal was to keep this conversation going. If it can't happen now, perhaps it can in the future. Yeah, in a way to start planting the seed in everybody's mind about this possibility because, yes, there is a lot of investment and there's a lot of work, but still mentioning the implementation of the 5G network is work that it needs to be done anyway. So why not to think about a long term of an infrastructure that could benefit Holyoke for a longer term than just the generational next step of one specific type of technology when we can have something that could be prepared for several more generations to come. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. And I think, um, so I just wanted to reiterate uh, a couple things about the ballot question in terms of our, our goals. So um, the question is focusing specifically on a gradual rollout using the infrastructure we already have in place. So I just want to make that clear because that was a, a point of contention um, in the city council meeting. I think between one of our meetings and when it when the language went to the law department you know we discovered that the law department language was in regards to a full rollout for the city which would be lovely to have. Um, I would love to see that happen in Holyoke but I also uh, recognize that HGE has made it clear that that they currently don't see that as a feasible option. So that's why we're asking for a feasibility study on a gradual rollout. And I think another um, component that was really important in this ballot question was to have that shared with the public at a um, city council meeting uh, in April 2022 or sooner. Um, So to have that information shared with the public to keep this conversation going was really important to us. And if, for whatever reason, a gradual rollout isn't a possibility, uh, I think there are other options to consider as well. I understand that the HG&E has done a feasibility study for complete fiber to the home, uh, which is often abbreviated as FTTH, to basically provide service to every house in the city would cost $30 million. Now, assuming that a gradual rollout using the infrastructure in place for whatever reason, is not feasible. Another alternative which uh, Greenfield has actually pursued is fiber to the curb, FTTC. And speaking um, with some folks from East Hampton who are currently meeting with the different utilities of the area, it's my understanding that it costs Greenfield about $5 million to roll out that service to residents as it exists today. That includes setting up a lot of the things that HG&E has done in the last 20 or so years. So there may be other options out there. And what fiber to the curb means instead of fiber to the home is basically if you have the money and you want to have it built out to your house for a faster connection, that's an option apparently. But what they do is they take these lines that already exist and attach them to sort of transceivers on the uh, power. They're basically on the same poles as the power lines. So you have these routers 
effectively broadcasting a high-speed connection, not unlike 5G, to your home, and you pay for that service. Now, there could be some issues. Perhaps, it, as far as I know, it's secure, but if you wanted to have a wired connection for whatever reason, you know, there would be some noticeable difference, but you could still get internet at least as fast, if not faster than your current service, without necessarily having to dig up all of these different homes to connect it. So that's that's another option that I, I don't know if that's been explored fully in Holyoke. I, I can't speak to the HD&E on that, but that's something that I would also, further down the road, if this isn't feasible for a gradual rollout in ground, perhaps that's another option. And at the same time, this is something that speaks a lot about the possibilities for innovation and continuing having that way of doing things in the city, being creative and innovative on everything since its foundation. And if this is something that could happen, it would be so amazing having all these resources and this history of resources being utilized in ways that are so innovative and so creative and so unique. Why not to, to think about that idea of now having a fiber and this implementation that could find alternatives and new ways to make this technology work. Uh, absolutely. And I'd also add, you know, you think about the Massachusetts Green High-Performance high Computing Center, part of the impetus for building that in Holyoke was this connection. They have, I believe it's called a point-of-presence connection to something called Internet 2.0, which the details of that are beyond my knowledge, but effectively it allows for high-speed data transmission from that center to its affiliate partners. So you can take really complicated sets of data behind physics, behind uh, the fields of astronomy, uh, genetics, all kinds of things, and then you know just rather instantaneously send that data to these institutions, both within the state, and I imagine you know if it's connected to the internet, pretty much anywhere around the world. So that's just one opportunity that has arisen from having what we have already in place today. Uh, I can only imagine if we had this kind of connectivity available to folks, you know, everyday folks with home businesses or, you know, what have you, that only invites more innovation. Uh, we've seen the potential of what we have already. I, I don't see a downside to pr providing more access, you know, to all people who are already, you know, ratepayers for this sort of thing, among other innovations. I also see this as being important for the schools and for education. Um, you know, I haven't seen numbers, but I would imagine there may be some students who aren't, um, who don't have a regular internet connection at home. This would be an important resource that would be hopefully more affordable and um, would be local to them. So the HGE seems very con connected to the community um, with like holiday discounts and that kind of thing. And so making this resource available to young people would um, ensure that they have access to be creative and um, to do research to get their homework done at home. Um, you know, having access to the internet is becoming increasingly important for education. Thinking about the ways kids in school now they need to be prepared and know about digital citizenship, because now everything for them is going to be online. It's already online. So having access is critical for their development, for their success in life, regardless the path they decide to go after. So yes, going back to that reference you were doing uh, at the beginning, Ken, that should this be considered as another utility? I think so. I think it does. Right now, our lives could be so crippled 
without access to the internet. Not that we are not capable anymore, but the way these systems have been implemented are making us so dependable on them. So at the end, I feel this initiative is allowing us to have options to look for a betterment on those resources. And also at the same time thinking, let's keep it local. We have the resources here. Absolutely. And I think it's also a great opportunity for residents to learn more about the telecommunications field. Um, You know, currently you can go see the fish lift and learn more about the technology that uh, HG&E uses for the generating electricity. And so, you know, how great would it be for students or for adults also to um, learn from HG&E how they um, maintain the fiber lines, um, the various different aspects of the service that they provide. And having it local, I think, would be allow more of an opportunity for the community to be involved. One thing to add to that as well is, you know, in addition to being an outlet uh, for folks in their everyday lives, uh, even the way that media is broadcast today, you know, if you talked to me 10 years ago and said that we would see, I, th- I think... I forget what percentage of households no longer get their uh, get their television from traditional TV providers. You know, it, it's unbelievable. Today we have more streaming services and unconventional uh, media such as you know Netflix, such as Hulu. Um, and in addition to that, also the notion of people can be their own content creators. You know, you can now stream something and effectively be an independent media outlet online. And even a matter of 15 years ago there were certain prohibitive expenses for something like that. Today, you know, having broadband and having affordable high-speed broadband, you know, it, it's, it's effectively an opportunity in itself for everyday people. And I think that's something that really um, can't be stressed enough. So now that the question has been passed and it will be included on the ballot in our election in November, what are the next steps? Well, I suppose the next steps are really just getting the word out about this, sort of explaining to people what this means. No, this will not raise your taxes or your rates. Really what we're trying to do is just see how many people are interested in this kind of service. And I think it's something, at least in our own experience, that has seen broad support. But finding the numbers that, you know, exist out there for surveys and things of that nature has been rather difficult. So what we really want to do is just get the word out, perhaps do a little bit of canvassing, and, you know, whatever the results are, that's something that the votership will decide, but at least the votership can see those numbers. Those are the things that will be reported at the end of the next election. You know, we wanted to help HG&E gauge the public will for this, Um, and, you know, as we said at city council meetings, if this fails, and, you know, if not very many people want this, you know, we respect that. And if HG&E finds that it's not feasible, we respect that as well. But, um, you know, we're hoping that people will become engaged in this issue, become engaged in their city, um, and turn out to vote in November. So um, we hope that this will help HG&E by providing uh, some numbers of, you know, folks who have expressed interest in the service and seeing this happen in Holyoke um, and learning more about the service. And we also hope that this will encourage HGE to look at new ways of gathering their own data. Um, it seems like they are already looking into this issue and already interested, but their current mechanism of gathering information um, 
at least of surveying is through phone surveys. Um, And so this is contacting people who have landlines. So you're missing a large portion of people who don't have a landline. And, you know, just anecdotally, that my guess would be that the people who don't have a landline would maybe be younger, maybe be less likely to want to have a landline or necessarily want to have cable. They might, you know, be more likely to be using Netflix at this point. Um, and might be interested in switching to fiber. So, you know, felt like HG&E, by doing these landline phone surveys, was missing out on their kind of possibly target demographic. So we were hoping by opening it up to a broader spectrum of people, you know, whoever's re- anyone who's registered to vote can express their opinion on this matter by going to the ballot box and um, saying yes or no. And also thinking a little bit about uh, the mention and reference you, uh, you made about the fish lift and the, the, the season that is about to start in May, that will be another perfect opportunity for people to enjoy seeing the fish lift and seeing the resources, particularly the, the recent addition of the whole solar fields and understand how much this is benefiting and generating more options on getting energy, even though sometimes... It could be limited, it could be not as much as the energy that is generated by the river itself, but it's learning about emerging technologies that are eventually going to lead to other technologies to come up and, and eventually, if not take over, to complement what we have. Yeah, I just wanted to mention one other thing, Johan, which is that um, there's been a lot of talk about the potholes in town or, you know, not just in Holyoke, but everywhere. This is pothole season. And so, um, you know, I think another thing that we thought about with doing a gradual rollout is sometimes you have to repave roads and you have to maybe tear them up completely in order to do so. And so it could be a good opportunity for HGE to work with partners in DPW, the waterworks, you know, other municipal departments to figure out when they might be already doing some of this infrastructure work and kind of going in on it together and laying down fiber when they're already planning to do the, um, you know, tearing up streets. And the beauty about this technology, too, is that in terms of innovations, even if new services come about that provide faster speeds, at the end of the day, you're working with fiber optic. You're working with the speed of light. So it's basically a matter of creating what sends and receives it on either end. Now, I believe the actual timeline for this infrastructure is, and I could be incorrect on this, I believe 20 years or 30 years before it requires certain maintenance on those lines. However, you know, once this is in place, you can simply, you know, you can change the technology at at either end of these uh, lines. But, you know, it's just a matter of interpreting the data. You're still sending it just a small beam of light from one point A to point B. And there's something beautiful about that in that as computers progress, as new technology, you know, as we, whatever the next stage is with smartphones and tablets and all of these, the internet of things today will look very different tomorrow. But this technology, even if some aspect of it becomes obsolete, the connections themselves, this infrastructure, really, it, it, I would be very, it'd be very difficult for me to wrap my head around something like fiber optic becoming obsolete, certainly not within our lifetimes. So that's, that's something that fosters innovation as we move forward, something that I think even traditional copper lines could never have done. So these are really interesting times to be experiencing and 
just seeing this question being approved to be on the ballot, it shows that we are moving in the right direction. And like you said, it's not right now about making this a definite yes. It will be really good to have, but at least to have people talking about it and considering the options and learning about this technology and how much it will be beneficial when we think about investing in the city and thinking about all the different aspects that make a city successful and functional and provide benefits for for everybody. It's all about that, about bringing this conversation and making it accessible to everyone. No, absolutely. And one thing we found was, um, you know, even across different political stripes, people want to feel like they have some say in the way they access information. And I think at the end of the day, this issue, especially with the current landscape with net neutrality and similar things, people are concerned that they may not be able to receive, you know, the news they want to read, who may not be able to communicate the way they want to communicate. And, you know, if it's even if there is a much larger sort of information ecosystem out there, this at least gives us a certain um, self-actualization in how we can at least receive whatever is out there um, within the city. At least as of 2015, I believe, there were a number of folks who were already engaged with this network who were commercial. And they may not, this may not still be true, but they were operating without debt at that time as well. So it's something that I have to commend the HG&E for working on, uh, simply because it's a service that they've managed to successfully provide as long as they have. And by every indication that I've seen, it's a service that has grown in that time. And I don't know what the future holds in terms of the economy, in terms of what people will do, but I certainly would expect that to continue to grow if it was accessible to more people. So in terms of the, the process, I just wanted to you know, point out that it, it was a long process and, and you know, we'd never been through this before. And so you know, just if anyone else is kind of interested, you know, has an issue that they're interested in the city, um, just kind of to give you a little bit of an idea of what you might expect. So I think back maybe last March, I want to say it was, Rebecca Lisi brought forward a request to have HGE come and speak with the uh, public, public service yeah. committee. And so then they came, I think it was sometime in December this year, or last year of 2018. Anyway, so, so it, it took a little while um, to schedule that meeting. And then um, after that, you know, we got a little bit more information about their current offerings. We did learn that they were already exploring this issue to a certain extent. And, you know, there was some interest there in, um, in having this offering this service uh, to residential customers. Um, and then we um, went to the, the city clerk's office or talked with the city clerk's office and learned that there are two ways to get a non-binding question on the ballot. Either you can collect, I believe it's 10% of the voter, uh, registered voters collect signatures from 10% of them, or you can collect just 10 signatures, then submit the petition to the city council, in which case then the city council has the opportunity to either approve or, you know, uh, tweak the language of the petition or deny it outright. Um, and so after that, we went to, it, you know, it went to the full city council. It got referred to the Charter and Rules Commission. Charter and Rules Commission moved it forward. And then I believe there were three city council meetings after that. Um discussing this and it went to legal as well so you know it was um 
a, a somewhat large time commitment to get this done. Um, and one of the comments that we received from the city councilors were, uh, or a city councilor was that um, he didn't feel like just getting 10 signatures was enough, which by the way, we got, you know, over 25 and there were other people who, you know, definitely wanted to sign, but we were eager to submit it. So we said, you know, um, we're grateful for your support, but we're going to submit this. And so for us to, um, if we had gone and to to collect uh, 10% of the voter base, that would have been a, a big investment of time and not and also we would have had to start that probably in the winter months and which is not a great time to be meeting your neighbors and and so it would have been a large investment of time which is great um, but just because you don't have the time to invest in something doesn't mean you don't care about an issue um, and there are a lot of different issues that one might be interested in uh, in this area and you know you can't dedicate your your whole life to doing just one thing necessarily, um, or you can, but <laughs> you might not want to. And I don't think that takes away from the uh, amount that you care about something. Um, and the other thing that I'll say about this um, is that by going through the city council, um, we had the opportunity to have a dialogue with them about the question um, and get feedback on it and also um, receive feedback from the legal department and have them tweak the language to make it you know, more of a question, have it be more um, acceptable to put on the ballot. So if we hadn't gone through city council, we wouldn't have had that opportunity for feedback um, and with the you know feedback from the legal department either. I mean, I would certainly just want to thank the folks who helped us along the way. I mean, there were a good number of them. As much as we had some pushback, we had a good number of, of folks who supported us both within uh, the city and uh, the mayor's office. I'd like to thank Alex Morse for supporting this as well as uh, Rebecca Lisi, um, Terrence Murphy, who was very helpful in getting us um, from you know point A to point B, um, and I'm sure there's some folks I'm also forgetting as well. But I'd also like to, oh, oh yes, also um, Juan Anderson Burgos. Juan Anderson Burgos as well. One thing I'd like to add is that as much of a mire as town politics can seem sometimes, you know there may be issues out there that have a broad support among people that just simply aren't being discussed. And I think it's important to emphasize to folks that there are steps to engage with your city government, and they may not be ones that are immediately uh, apparent. But and even as, you know, in the backdrop of many other things that are sort of going before the city council, even as arguments are going on, there may be other things out there that everybody can rally behind. And I would just encourage folks who have an interest that they think others can benefit from to you know, contact uh, your city councilors, to contact folks who, or even your neighbors, and just reach out and find out, you know, do folks want to see something change? And I think just in that basic um, premise, you know, there's a lot to be said. So I hope, I hope we see more folks come forward with their own interests related to improving Holyoke for everybody. In that matter, I want to thank both of you for all this investment of time and energy because it's not only about the question, it's about the initiative and showing that something that needs to be addressed can be put into the consideration of the whole city following the procedures. And yeah, sometimes it could be a little bit challenging and even frustrating, but by making this effort, is how things start to get moving. Absolutely. Thank you for having us. Thank you so much. <laughs> Thank you.
you to the people who helped us along the way. This is our conversation with Laura Clampett and Ken Lefebvre about the question. You can follow, of course, all these developments on the different sessions at City Council. And for that, you can refer to all the archives that Holyoke Media is providing on the website and also on Facebook. And we will be doing the same from this platform on Radio Plasma. So if there is any updates or any information before the election that is pertinent to share, you know you are always welcome to return. Thank you. We'll absolutely keep you posted. So with this, we conclude the session that has been recorded at the Holyoke Public Library in Holyoke, Massachusetts. I'm Johan Roshivega. Thank you for listening. <laughs>